0: Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, where our mission is to provide woodworking education for all levels and all types of woodworkers. To find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, visit us on the web at modernwoodworkersassociation.com or follow us on Twitter at mwa underscore national. Now to our host, Tom Iovino, Dami Palatke, and yours truly, Chris Adkins. Hello, ladies and gentlemen,
1: woodworkers of all ages. This is the 64th edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association, online discussion about all things woodworking. I'm Diami Plotke of penultimatewoodshop.com, and I'll be your host today, filling in for Mr. Iavino, who is uh, out gallivanting in southern Florida, if I understand right. This episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast is sponsored by the Gorilla Glue Company for the toughest jobs on planet Earth. Now, tonight I'm joined by my normal cohort, Mr. Christopher Adkins. Chris, how are you?
0: I'm good, Diomi. How are you? But I have just got one question for you. Okay. Are we doing number 64, or 65 today?
1: Today is number 65. <laughs> it is number 65. So um thank you for that uh that minor correction. But you know what? 64 was a very good episode with 64. Mr. John Steffen. So it was a good I would episode. highly recommend you go back and listen to 64.
0: <laughs> That's right. I agree.
1: <laughs> well, when you're not correcting your your co-hosts, uh what's going on in your shop?
0: um i have um i have been out of town almost the entire time since um since we recorded 64 so um so i've actually been out of the shop and and so haven't been around with thanksgiving we uh we went down to florida and then uh i had a uh had a a death in the family so uh traveled up to north carolina and spent some time up there so um
1: I I understand, based on a little talk we had before the show started, that when you went down to Florida for for your Thanksgiving vacation, you sold off all your tools and just packed up a couple hand tools into a bag, and that's your new shop?
0: That's right. I I had my mobile shop, and so I sold everything so that I could afford my my mobile (laughs) shop. Um, No, basically, I, I knew that I was going to be gone for a week. I knew I was going to be just hanging out on the beach. It was winter time um a little colder out and you know just had a little bit of time to relax and and not quite as crazy as some of our uh our trips down so i got a box and and um i went into the uh the shop and i cut out um cut out about five different um templates for some spoons you know kind of rough cut and brought some uh some carbon equipment and some sharpening equipment and uh just packed all that stuff in a box that way. When I was down at the beach, I actually could sit down and and spend some time, and uh, so it was nice. I actually went out on the deck and sat out there and did a little bit of carving and relaxing. And same thing, I was actually sitting out on the beach carving on a on some spoons. So uh, so that was kind of fun.
1: And now with your abbreviated vacation, were you able to get much work on the spoons done?
0: I was able to get a couple of spoons finished. Um, one of them turned out real nice. I did a kind of a stir spoon and and that um that turned out real nice so yeah, yeah are I'm,
1: these are these going to be gifts are they gonna when i come over when i finally come over your house am i gonna have to eat whatever it is with just a spoon i mean what are you what are you going to do with all these spoons that, now? that's
0: right it's, we're only eating with spoons in my house now um no when when <laughs> I, I, I know for the past two episodes i've been talking about making spoons so it's it's become a little bit of a uh <laughs>
1: Yeah. Now you've made what five or six. It's a whole lot of spoons.
0: <laughs> I've made a couple of spoons here, but that's obviously not too many, but, um, no, it, it, it's, it's two things. It was, um, I do like carving. So it was, you know, spending a little bit of time carving and then it's a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a, a function in design and just kind of playing around with some different ideas that I had and, and seeing how those translate out. So, uh, you know i had quite a few several different little ideas and stuff of carving and and how to come up with those and and you know see those those out in the carving show uh, so that's part of it um and yeah it, it's you know of course i carve one and several family members is like oh you know i want one of those so uh so i've i've made a few commitments to uh to to give a few to to some family members so um, ah. so yes i am carving some spoons just so that the family's got some, uh, so. I got gotcha. you now.
1: With the um, the ideas and the carving techniques, is it just as simple as you have a bunch of ideas about how to make different spoons, or are these carving techniques that you want to use on other types of carving, but that the spoon is just a convenient means of trying it out and 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 honing your carving skills?
0: Both. Um, I I've always liked to carve but I, I tend to not carve as much as I would like to. Um, so part of that, yes, is, is just improving on my carving skills. So it's no a little bit of an exercise in just, you know, carving more and spending more time doing it. And, um, yeah. And part of it was just, I did have some ideas and stuff that I'd saw in some different spoons and just wanting to see how those were made and kind of, you know, work through it myself. But, um, uh, really a lot I'd of it is just kind of practicing my own techniques.
1: Have you taken any classes in carving? I mean, have, do you have any sort of foundation in, in where to carve? Because carving is not something I've given much thought to, but when I was building the wands a few years ago, I attempted to carve carve them all, was my attempt, and uh, I carved one and was so dissatisfied with my carving and with my inability to carve that I stopped after the one. Um, so I'm just impressed that you're able to, that anyone, frankly, is able to carve things, because I look at it and I'm like, what? I don't know what the hell I'm doing with the knife.
0: Um... <laughs> This this is one of those stories that goes back to the how how um, I'm I'm pretty hillbilly, <laughs> even though I live in Atlanta I'm I'm fairly hillbilly. Well, um, I'm gonna let that one lie. <laughs> You're gonna leave that one alone. Um, obviously, with my accent, I'm from the country. Um, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, and when I was a kid growing up, every Sunday we went to uh, we went to dinner, and it's. Uh, up there, I don't know why we have we have dinner and supper instead of lunch and dinner. I don't know; it's just the way it is. So, lunch okay. for us, we would always go up there on Sunday and and have have lunch after you know church and all that kind of stuff. I guess people would go to. And so, um, one of the things that, that the men in my family did was after we finished eating, we would all go down to there was a, an old cinder block garage that was out beside the the barn and. uh we would all go out there and sit, and there was some some firewood that hadn't been busted up, sitting on the ends, and we would all sit out there, and everybody would talk. And when they did, we always, you know, everybody had their pocket knife, so you would sit there and and just kind of whittle and carve. So, um, so actually, the really the very first woodworking that I ever remember doing in my life was carving. So, okay. So it's not something I've done a lot, you know, in the past few years, but. You know, growing up, I spent, you know, a lot of time using, you know, a pocket knife just to kind of carve a little bit. So, um, so it's not something I'm unfamiliar with at all. Um, it's just, I haven't done much of it in a long time. So, gotcha. and I did take, uh, actually, um, there's a school up in in North Carolina. It's called the, uh, Penland School of Arts. Um, it's a fairly well-known, um, art school that, that's up in the mountains up there and they teach a lot of different things and uh, I actually did attend a uh, couple of day carving class one time that was uh, kind of interesting.
1: Okay, I'm sure I suspect that between carving on Sundays and, and taking a class that gives you a reasonable foundation uh, um, and then like anything once you have the foundation you just kind to go off on your own and figure out your own method
0: Yeah, just spending some time on it but one of the things that I, I was going to say that, that I have got out of um, of this is um, with it being a spoon, is I really had a lot of debate over the finish on it. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, I didn't want to put like a polyurethane or something like that on it. Um, and I've done some cutting boards where I've used you know minerals and things like that, but I've never really liked the uh, the the luster on it. So I ended up going to Woodcraft, and and I'm sure there's a whole bunch of these, and I picked one up that was called uh, stone polish. It was spoon polished. <laughs> I picked up one, it's called George's uh Clubhouse Wax. Um, okay. And, and it's it's basically beeswax and, and uh and mineral oil. Um I, I don't know if there's anything special on it. It says that they you know, they're supposed to double filter the beeswax or something. I don't know. I'm sure that there's a thousand others you can get just like it. But I've really been impressed with how um how good a finish that that beeswax and mineral oil mix um, does on it, you know, it's just a really smooth, you know, satin finish, and um, seems, you know, seems pretty good, good finish. So I've been pretty happy with that too. Well, that's good. Yeah. So well, excellent. So that's most of what I'm doing right now. Um, the only other thing that that I've kind of um, I've I've got working on is, you know, I started the tablet holder. I had forgotten about the tablet holder. Yes, and I had the tablet holder, and so what happened was I've got some some coins from when I was in the military that I wanted to put on there, and so I really kind of had a hard time going through because the, the Forster bits that I have, they're just not random enough, and there's not enough sizes in those to, to really make a nice, tight fit. So I went out and went to Woodcraft, and they had... They had some, some of the bits that's got, that you put them in basically a drill press, and it's got an arm that kind of comes out, and you can slide that. But you can't adjust it down to less than about, I don't know, I think it was an inch and three-quarters or an inch and quarter or something like that. Um, okay. So it's just not small enough. And so when I was driving up to North Carolina on f- or Saturday, I stopped by this little antique shop that I, I stopped at up on the, the border up there, and they tend to have a lot of hand tools, and they had a – They had a, they had actually, it was made for a brace and it's, it's an adjustable. It's a, you know, you can basically adjust the bit to the, Mm -hmm. whatever. I know the
1: type of bit you're speaking of.
0: And, uh, and so I found that and I think that's going to work perfect for it. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the last thing in finishing up that.
1: It's almost like an auger bit and that outside cutting edge is a little adjustable.
0: Right. It's got a, it's got a screw that you can, you know, kind of loosen and slide that back. Mm -hmm. And this one's actually got two different. Excuse me. It's actually got two different bits, so you can – I don't know. I think you can probably adjust that thing up to, I, I would say, probably around an inch and a half to inch and three-quarters based on the, the larger one, if you can slide that one all the way out. Um, so this that's kind of fun. That's thats going to be um, – I'm anxious to see how that, that works out, and uh, I'll probably test it on something before I throw it on, on, on here, but uh, that will kind of wrap that project up for me.
1: Now, with it being used, do you have to sharpen it? Does it come sharp?
0: I'm sure I'll have to sharpen it. Um, When I found it, they had actually, um, I don't know, you wouldn't think that would be like a very common, popular one. But I I bet there was 15 of these in the box of it. So, I mean, there was quite a few of these these in. And so I picked the sharpest one out of the the group. But I still think I need to sharpen it just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. You do that with files? I would think I will probably use files, but um, that that kind of brings me up to another thing that, that I just actually picked up today, so I guess I could try it out on it um, today i i was um, I've been looking for um for a belt grinder for like you know knife making and things like that, and so okay. I was looking on on Craigslist and I found a jet uh, sharpener. Uh, it's made like the the Tormex. okay, and I uh, found a pretty good deal on it and it was a local guy here in Atlanta and so I uh, went out today and went and took a look at it and um, it looked great and ended up picking it up so so i I think it's you know i don't i I like hand sharpening um for you know things like my my plane irons and chisels and things like that, but you know for carving tools and things like that that's got some curves on it. Um, I think this is going to work out pretty nice. Plus, I like the uh, the leather strap on it.
1: Okay, you think you think the 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 wheel will be easier to sharpen carving tools on?
0: I think so. Um, just just the fact that it's um, I I don't know. I'm anxious to see how it does. But you know, this one's got quite a few different attachments on it, so I'm going to kind of play okay. around with some of the different attachments. But you know just it's it's difficult seems at least it is for me and i just maybe i just haven't got the hang of it yet but sharpening those curves is a little bit uncomfortable for me when i'm doing it on just a flat stone you know i've Mm. i've kind of tried it a few times and i I get the tools sharp but it's just not as natural so uh, it's
1: a shame she's not really involved in the woodworking too much anymore um because I've seen Carrie Holtman. Carrie Holtman has tried to show me how to sharpen her carving uh-huh. tools, and she does them on stones. And she uses every inch of the stone in these big, wow. sweeping, flowing motions as she spins around these curved blades. Sure. And she'll explain it to you like, "Oh, it's just easy. Just twist it like this," and it <laughs> looks incredibly easy. But it's it's such a an acquired skill. Um. But the way she does it, she she you know she moves it across on these flat stones and right. sharpens them. Whereas my dad, who does a lot of carving, um. He doesn't have the jet. He has... I don't think they make it anymore. He has an older Delta, uh-huh. which has the vertical wheel that's wet like the jet of the Tormac. Right. But the Delta also has a horizontal wheel. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have a strop. It's got, the, it's got the two wheels. And honestly, I don't know how he takes these curved pieces to the machine, but I know he does all his sharpening on that machine. So yeah. there's clearly a way to do it. I just don't know how.
0: I, I think with the wheel, I think it's going to be pretty easy because you got the rest on there and so you can kind of... You know, lay it on it and kind of rotate it across. You're not really having to do that okay. sweeping motion, but um does
1: the, can you change the grit of the wheel the way you can on the tarmac with on the tarmac rather with the like they have this dresser that changes it from coarse to fine and back and forth. I, can you I, do that with the jet wheel? It
0: it's got a ton. It's got. I know he had two different dressers on it. So um, okay, you know, I I haven't spent that much time on. Literally, I picked it up this morning and and haven't even taken it out of my truck yet. So oh, fine. <laughs> so. So I'm going to have to do some experimenting on it. But um, my understanding is that, yeah, I I think you can, you know, it's pretty much the same. You know, it it looks pretty close to it. And, you know, it's got the adjustable speed on it. And um, so, yeah, I I think I can probably do all that. But I'm going to have to play around with it a little bit and see. Because that was kind of one of my concerns on it was just, you know, how to, you know, I'm so used to sharpening with, like, Japanese stones where, you know, I go all the way up to an 8,000 grit and, you know, I fill this stone and it's just, you know, it's fairly coarse compared mm. to, you know, even a 4,000 grit stone. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of anxious just to kind of play around with that and see how, how that does. Um, so I don't know, we'll see, but I, I think it's going to work out pretty well, but you know, it's like, as far as like curves and stuff, you know, on a stone, like say a a knife, that's got a curve blade on it. You know, I'm very comfortable with sharpening, a curve like on a knife but just like a scoop or something it's just I haven't really got quite comfortable with that and then I've got a hook knife that that I I've been using for the inside of like a spoon and that little thing's been pretty difficult to sharpen so uh it took me a while to uh I I spent some time this uh, when I was down there I actually brought a couple of my stones and stuff and uh definitely spent some time trying to to get the habit of sharpening that and it can you just a fit little. a
1: stone inside of it how do you sharpen that
0: um i was actually i was sharpening the outside curve and then okay i've got a small ceramic stone that i was using on the inside to basically just kind of pull any burr that i had out and right. smooth that right. out okay and then i would sharpen the other side pull the inside out and it's that's kind of the method i was using for it
1: i got it okay mm-hmm but that's that's more going on in your shop than you uh, you laid on to.
0: <laughs> well, I like I said, I've been gone, but at the same time, I've had a little bit of time, and so uh, so yeah, I've been trying to spend a little bit. So what about you? What do you got going on?
1: Well, um anyone who's seen any of my many monthly shop tour videos, I always start in the near right hand corner of the shop and um what I've got in that near right hand corner is a concrete step. Yep. Because there used to be a door into the house from that point. Then I've eliminated that door years ago. Um, but I didn't bother ripping out the step. So on Sunday afternoon, I felt, uh, I don't know, motivated and started breaking up the step. I have a picture of it in the show notes. I haven't gotten all that far. But I managed to drill, I don't know, 50 holes in the step with the hammer drill with a, with a little quarter inch bit. And then I started breaking it up with a hammer and chisel. And I only spent about an hour on it. It's not as though I invested a whole lot of time on this thing, but it was not instantly breaking up. So I brought home a demolition hammer from work, and over the weekend, I'll—I'm assuming I'll make quick work of it with the demo hammer, and then I'll uh, then I'll have to put in the put in the OSB and the insulation in that little corner, and I'll just win that much more space. I mean, it's only a step that's like two and a half foot wide by about eight inches deep, but it's right in the corner, and it prevents me from putting things right in the corner. Right. So. Um, I've got shards of concrete all over the floor from that going on. Um, I'm also teasingly close to being done with the dust collector. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been feeling a lot of space issues in the shop. For the first time this past week, my shop has felt small. And, you know, regular listeners will know I have a one-car garage, and some people may think, you know, why is it only feeling small now? But it's honestly never felt small. I've never run out of room, and... This past week, it felt small. I reorganized one of the walls, and all of a sudden, it I realized the organization doesn't work, and the shop all of a sudden felt small. So one of the things I wanted to do was get my older dust collector out of the shop, because there was no reason to have two of them. So I had a, a, a friend of mine, another woodworker on the island, I gave him my old dust collector. So mm-hmm. now I'm down to just the new one, uh, but that means I have to get the new one up and running, and I have no dust collection right now. And it's the kind of thing where once you have dust collection, I didn't have it for years, but... I don't ever want to go back to not having it. So I'm right. I'm stalling on projects until I get this dust collector going so that I can I can start up the joiner and the planner and, and do some milling and and make some serious chips. But I've I've cobbled together this uh, this DIY cyclone that I've got. And it's a it's a 20-gallon bucket I bought off Amazon that's connected to a Super Dust Deputy Cyclone that's connected to the impeller from a dust boy dust collector I bought off Craigslist about five to ten years ago. That's connected to a wind filter, um, and it, it's a it's a cyclone essentially. But it's all you know different pieces that I bought right. independently and have connected together. So I've got the structure of this thing actually all built, and the original cable impeller. Because now the impeller is on top of this big tower, the original cable was about six inches too short to reach the 220 outlets in my shop which were all by the floor (laughs) um as many outlets
0: as you put in your short one (laughs) yeah
1: well um yeah (laughs) so um i I was gonna just kind of plug it in and use it and it wouldn't have had a switch but i could plug it in and unplug it and that's how i would turn it on and off and and make it work but because it doesn't even reach now i have to go the last step of actually wiring a switch so uh last night i ran a new wire from the motor to the outlet box, I put a switch in, I've wired the switch, and now the switch is wired to a 25-foot cable that I need to put a plug on the end of. So I just need to put a plug on the end of it, and it's done. Right. And hopefully the damn thing works. I mean, I know the mo- I know the impeller will turn on, but I'm hoping all my fittings are tight and the suction's actually appropriate. I haven't done any CFM testing or anything. I I, I don't. I, I'm a woodworker for God's sakes. I'm not an engineer. I don't know if the if I'm going to get proper suction and stuff out of it. I I expect I will. It's this exact same motor and impeller as my previous dust collector, which was just into a 55 gallon drum, and that thing had absolutely plenty of suction. Um, so I'm assuming it'll work. But in any event. Um, I need like a half hour, and it's done. Yeah, and uh, so so that's kicking around in the shop. Um, so I was actually working home from today because the kids got off school early for parent teacher conferences, and I was hoping to finish my work early and and steal a half hour in the shop and get this thing wired up today. And I just wasn't able to make that happen. So that's kicking around the shop. What were you asking?
0: No, I was just going to say. So you, so you actually haven't. I mean, I'm looking at the picture of it on here, and uh, you know, definitely everybody go take a look at the show notes on it because uh, it's pretty cool looking little little setup you've got here um it's a big setup (laughs) it 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 is a big setup now now at looking at this do you am i correct does it look like you've got like wheels under the base is it somewhat mobile or is it pretty stationary i mean what's your it
1: it is it 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 has wheels under it i'm not sure how mobile it actually is going to be but yes it does have wheels on and Mm -hmm. where it's positioned in the shop right now it is immediately you don't see it in the picture but it's immediately to the left of my chop saw okay so um, I have a big bench and a big wing that comes out on the right side of the chop saw. And I have a window in the shops installed specifically in that location that I can run boards out the window and fit them on the chop saw.
0: Right, so I remember that. So on the
1: right-hand side of the chop saw, I have, in practical terms, it's probably about 60 feet before I hit my neighbor's garage. <laughs> um, so that's not an issue. But on the left-hand side of the chop saw with the dust collector in place, I have probably about 16 inches. <laughs> right. Um, so even if it stays where it is, there will be plenty of times when I'll have to slide it forward to run a board behind it. Yeah. Um, but what what it's actually on is, you can't really tell in the photo, but that's my old planer stand. Okay. Back when I had a uh, you know, lunchbox planer, I built a stand out of, I took each corner was two by fours that I milled flat and screwed and glued them together into essentially L shapes. Mm-hmm. And those were the four corners and I had three quarter inch OSB base and top and a three-quarter inch OSB lip like a stretcher around the top and bottom it took a lot of wobble out of it. So that was the that was the platform I had my old DeWalt planer on for years. And then when I got rid of the planer, I couldn't I couldn't I just couldn't get rid of this rolling stand because it was a just a horizontal surface and something I could lay things on and assemble things on. And it was a useful little table in the right. shop. So um what I did was I cannibalized it and I cut off two of the legs in the front. I replaced them with one by th- fours. doesn't need to be as strong. This thing doesn't weigh as much as the planer do- did. Um, but what it does is underneath, the, underneath where the planer would have gone, which was dead space, is now this 20-gallon bucket and – on the sh- the platform, the planer rested on the top of the table. Essentially, is where the super dust deputy is connected. And I just drilled a six inch hole, or I cut a six inch hole with a jigsaw through the top of it. And I've got the dust the dust deputy screwed down to that OSB. Right. And then at the bottom, I've got a flange with a short little flexible hose that goes to the lid of the bucket. Yeah. Um. So yes, it is it is technically mobile, but the damn th- thing is it's about six and a half feet tall. Right. And it's about it's about 24 inches deep, but it's about 36, maybe 40 inches wide because it's this big tower of 20 gallon bucket cyclone impeller, and then next to that, from the impeller down, is the filter. The filter is big. I mean, I talked with uh, Steve Wynn of Wynn Environmental. They make wind filters. Mm-hmm. Um, very helpful guy. I'm saying Steve Wynn. It's Dick Wynn. I Excuse me, Dick. It's Dick Wynn. Um, very, very helpful guy. I, I got to him through the, just the um, the info sites on their website. If you have any questions about a filter, I would definitely recommend people go to him because he was able to answer all my questions. And I told him what I was building. And this is the filter he recommended. And if you look at the picture, you'll see there's a bucket attached to the bottom of it. Yeah, I can and see he that. Told, Yeah, he told me how to fit the bucket. The bucket is attached with this kind of DIY method of – it's a – I forget what they call it, but it's a lid. It's a two-piece lid, and the ring of the lid snaps onto the top of any five-gallon bucket, and then the centerpiece screws into that snap, and oh, it nice. makes an airtight seal. Nice. So what you do is you actually cut out the middle of the centerpiece – you screw or you, you make special screws that catch onto the inside lip of the filter, and you clamp the inside of the f- of the lid to the bottom of the filter, if that makes sense, right. with the middle of the inside of the lid cut out, and then you can screw the five-gallon bucket on, on and off so you can empty it. Nice. And he showed me how to do all that. So Dick Wynn, very helpful guy. Um, But this filter is huge. I, I had an unboxing video of it um, a, a couple of weeks ago. I, I published it on YouTube, and... The filter's got to be about three foot tall, wow. and because you know, in any event, it it makes for a big machine.
0: So, um, so how long does this this filter? I mean, is it? How does this filter work as far as you know, changing it, cleaning it? How, how's all that?
1: My assumption is that I'm never going to have to change it, or at least not for a very long time. Um, I'm I'm assuming, and again, I've not actually used this in uh, in battle yet. I, I uh-huh. don't. It hasn't had chips going through it yet. But my assumption is that. The super dust deputy will catch 95, 98, 99% of the chip, something like that. And the dust will get into the filter. And based on what I've seen other people do – this is the first time I've ever had a dust collector with a pleated filter. But what I've seen other people do is just take compressed air and from the outside blow into the filter and knock all the dust from the inside of the filter down to the bottom, in which my case will land in this five-gallon bucket. So I'm thinking on somewhat of a regular basis, every couple weeks, couple months, something like that. I'm just going to need to s- spray down the the filter with compressed air,
0: right. and then
1: empty the bucket. Right. I'm hoping that's all I need to do, and it doesn't need to get replaced because um, it, for what it is, once I got it, I thought it was a reasonable value in terms of all the work that went into making this filter because it's got steel mesh on the outside and the inside, and it's a it's a pretty substantial piece of of hardware. But it wasn't cheap, and I certainly don't want to replace it. Um, sure. in the near near future. So I'm hoping I can just, just blow it out. That's certainly my plan.
0: So, um, I kind of want to go back for a second. You were, you were talking about the shop and you were running out of space. And and that's one thing that we've, we've talked about quite a bit on the show is, is, you know, shop space, because a lot of people are faced with that. you know, you know, I honestly, I feel fortunate that I've got a two car garage. That's Mm. pretty much dedicated to my shop. You know, I've got one little corner that the family gets a little bit of, but, Um, you know, for a lot of people that you do get smaller and, and, you know, we've, we've talked about you a lot and just having a one car, um, you know, and, and in the past you've, you've always felt pretty, pretty comfortable with that. So what, what do you think that what's, what's changed in there? What's the big things that, that, uh, you know, just organization wise that you think's affected this?
1: Um, if I do a I do a shop tour once a month, right? Um, it's always my first blog post. Not always, but it's usually my first blog post of the month as I do a shop tour because as the shop is evolving and I'm doing work on the shop, I've tried to document it both for the record. People seem to enjoy watching it, and it's kind of motivation for myself to get something done so that month to month it's not not the same tour. So, if anybody watches those tours, you can see the layout of the shop mm-hmm. and the right hand side of my shop. Um, as you can't come in, it was always that step, the right. bandsaw tucked into the corner there, and I would have to move it out of the way to use it. But the bandsaw was usually tucked in on the right hand side. Um, my table saw, and then there was my what I've always called the bastard tool cabinet, which is a slide out right. tool cabinet, yep. and my my uh, my plane cabinet hanging on the wall on that on that right hand side, and then there was a little gap of about 12 inches that was just an empty space in the wall, the whole height of the wall. And then there was just some open shelves that I had um, my Festool stuff on the top and some random sharpening stuff on the bo- on the bottom um, and then a space underneath for, for my dust extractor. And what I did over the weekend on – it was either Friday or Saturday over the Thanksgiving weekend – is I redid those shelves at the end of the right-hand wall and I, I made them wider – so that they they went all the way to the cabinets, so it took up the whole wall. And I didn't really bring them lower, but by making them wider, they used to be even narrower at the bottom. By making them wider the whole way, I realized that as it stood, there was nowhere to put a piece of equipment against a wall. And I think that's what really made me feel the shop was smaller, is um, equipment to put a piece against the wall, because – Uh, Right now, the shop is without a bandsaw because I I sold my old bandsaw and I have – my new bandsaw actually arrived today. It's at my office and I need to figure out how to get it home. Um, The new bandsaw is a little bit bigger than the old bandsaw. But in terms of footprint, I don't think it's going to be too much bigger. I I hope not. I I guess I could have checked the measurements. But I don't think it's going to be too much bigger. It's got the mobile base, so I should be able to move it around. Um, So I should be about an equal there. But in my attic, I have a a Jet – 1632 drum sander that i bought new about five years ago
0: i think i've saw that in your attic (laughs) yeah
1: and it's still in my attic right um and there's i need to fit that in the shop and i'm not exactly sure how or where but that ultimately is going to go in my shop and i'm at the point in the shop now where the shop is close enough to done that i'm thinking about putting it in sometime soon um i've also got a router table up in the attic i've got a um, I got a woodpecker's router table and fence and micro adjust and a Jessam lift and a big three horsepower Porter Cable router motor that I've not ever set up. Um, I got them all at different woodworking shows, and uh, the table has a scratch in it, so I got it at a big discount. And I bought the motor used, and it's all stuff I've just kind of acquired over time when I saw a good deal in it. I picked it up with the thought that someday I'll use that. Um, So I've got this big sander and this this router table that. Ultimately, I want to put in the shop, and I was just thinking to myself, well, where the hell are they going to go? Yeah. Um, I've got a bench now. The bench needs to be rebuilt, but my new bench won't necessarily be bigger than my old bench. So I'm always going to have a small bench because I can't fit a big bench in the shop, so that doesn't really bother me. But I would like some sort of a assembly table, something that's a horizontal surface that I can work on. Doesn't need to be as righteous as a bench, but right now, and I, I highlighted this in the last video when I was feeling shrunken in, is the the wing for the miter saw, mm-hmm.
0: excuse
1: me, serves as a bench. The table saw serves as a bench. Every once in a while, I put stuff on my joiner because there's just no other flat surface to put things on.
0: Um, so but, you know, I mean, I think that's a fairly common thing. I mean, that was one of the things I was going to say today. As uh, when I went over to um, to to pick up that that jet sharpener, um, the, the guy Martin, I went over to his shop, and you know, he had. A, a fairly you know fairly small shop it wasn't a huge shop but it wasn't tiny um and and i was noticing his shop and it's always nice for me to go into somebody else's shop and see their setup and stuff mm. and that is of, always nice yeah one of the things he had was he had he had a saw stop you know had a really nice saw stop cabinet saw there and and he had a, a side feed table on it you know where he could kind of hold his uh, you know basically to catch any any bigger sheet goods or something for the mm-hmm. the edge no, of No, my
1: my dad has one on his saw. I I, I know exactly what you're talking well, about.
0: Well, the side feed was actually his um router table. He just uh-huh. he made his router table. He he made his own router table. He made it the same size as the the cabinet saw so that he could actually bump it up to it so it's dual purpose. You know, now he's got he's got a router table that he can work on. Uh, if he needs a side feed for the table saw, then bam, you know, he drops everything off the the router table and, and so it's multi-purpose. And I think that's kind of an important thing that, you know, you've got to look at when you've got a smaller shop. um, No,
1: I I agree. I've recently been rereading. It's now, it's probably every bit of 10 years old, if I had to guess, I don't have it in front of me, but Matthew Teague,
0: Uh um,
1: former editor of Pop Woodworking, former, associate editor i'm not sure what his title was at fine woodworking
0: Um, and now springhouse
1: Um, and now he's with springhouse press uh Mm -hmm. publishing some really cool books i'm loving i'm absolutely loving uh the, the skateboard book
0: yeah yeah
1: um but regardless i digress uh matthew teague in fine woodworking about a decade ago had an article about his shop and he's had a couple of articles in fine woodworking about his shop because when he was an employee of fine woodworking, he lived in Connecticut and he had a one car garage shop. And then after he left fine woodworking, he moved down to, I want to say Tennessee and he built a shop from the ground up and he wrote an article for them about building a shop from the ground up. So he has a couple of shop articles, but if you go back to his one car garage article, it's a really good article about how to fit things in a garage but I reread the article today, and all I could think to myself was, "He has like two thirds the power tools in his shop that I have in my shop now, and I want to put more in." Right. Um, so, uh, not to you know, I, I honestly think I've come up with some more space efficient ways of fitting things into my shop than he did. But that being said, as efficient as I'm being, I think I'm I'm reaching the limits of the shop. So one of the things he did is he had. Uh, he had 50, a 52 inch fence on his table saw when he moved in, and he cut it to be like 36 so that the wing, you know, so he could put the table saw against the wall and the wings wouldn't make the table saw stick out so much. Right. Um, and I have a 36 inch fence on my table saw. I have a Delta contractor saw, and I'm seriously thinking of cutting my wings. So that it only has 24-inch rip capacity. Because I have a track saw and I have a table that I drag out in the driveway to cut down sheet goods. So it's not like right. I'm moving full right. sheets of plywood over my table saw. Um, and if I were to cut that, I would only win a couple inches, but then eh, every couple inches count. That's what it makes I'm in a, in a
0: difference in a small shop.
1: Exactly. I'm in a space that's less than 200 square feet. So um, yeah. those couple inches are going to be important. Another thing he did, which is really smart, but... I don't want to admit that I've made a mistake by picking up a router table and a router fence over the years that don't work this way. So I'm going to try to make what I have work, but I may ultimately have to do what he did is he had the – in this article, he had the bench dog router table. But bench dog at least at the time he wrote the article, he says it's the only one available. Maybe there's other ones available now. I don't know. I haven't looked myself. But they had a router table that fit into a table saw. But it was the only one he saw that went on the left of the blade. Hmm. Um, so it would replace the wing on the left side of the cabinet, not the right side of the cabinet, and not that extension wing between the fence rails. Um, because almost every
0: So you actually take t- the wing off on the left?
1: Yes, you take oh, wow. you take the uh you take the factory, you know, every basically every cabinet or contractor saw has factory wings on the left and right and the cheaper ones are stamped steel the then you get like the ones that are like uh they're cast iron but they're hollow like tom's old rigid saw has these you know it's this open weave pattern and then you get most saws which are just cast iron tables and they extend the table surface on the left and right right so you would take the cast iron wing on the left of the saw off the factory one and BenchDog's router table is cast iron and replaces that wing on the saw and it has a has a removable fence that hangs underneath that wing when it's not in use and when you're going to use it you snap it on and the router is on the left of the blade not the right because in Matthew Teague's shop the saw was pushed up against the right hand wall so you couldn't actually come around to the right side of the saw there wasn't enough room in the shop to come around to the right side of the saw to use what's the most common uh, table saw mounted router table in between the fence rails on the right hand side. Um, as a rule, I don't like those dual purpose tools. I want to be able to leave both set up but I, you know I have a 190 square foot shop. I don't necessarily have the luxury right. of having you know independent everything right. So reading this article today, I was thinking to myself, I may have to go that route. Um and build my router table into my into my table saw. So, because right now I have an it was actually my graduation present from college. It was the benchtop top porta cable router table. Huh. And it was the old, I don't know the model number. I should know. It's like 690 or something. It's the old porta cable one and a horf, one and a half horsepower router motor. And I got the set where the same motor switches between the D handle fixed base, the plunge base, and the router table. And that's what I use as a router table. And its I usually end up doing it in the driveway, which means I'm limited to non-winter months. And I set it up on my, um, I can never remember the name of the table, but that big folding table I have that I use all summer. It's, it's great in the driveway, but it's an okay router table. It's not a great router table. It has a terrible fence. And I own all these pieces to make a really nice router table. I've just never gotten around to it, never had the space for it. Um, so I have this emotional tie to building an actual router table cause right. I have the pieces, right. but when I look at the space, I, I might be better off just, you know, selling what I have and getting the one that fits into the table saw cause it it'll it won't take up any more footprint and it would be right now having, having a router table that I need to break down to use the table saw would still be more of a permanent router table than what I have now, which I have to drag down from the attic. Um, so I don't know. That reading, after I felt constricted in a space, I I knew that article, so I I pulled out that article and I reread it. And I was looking at some of the methods he does. And some of the stuff he does in the article is really impressive. And if you have a one-car garage, absolutely look up the article. It's on the Fine Woodworking Archive. You need to be a member to find it. But if you're a member, frankly, you should be a member because the archive is fantastic. And you look up Matthew Teague, one-car garage, you'll find it. Um, I happen to have the... One of the DVDs from Fine Woodworking—that's all the articles. I think mine's a 2012 or 2013. It's not the newest one; it's a couple of years old. But this article, like I said, it's it's about eight, ten years old, something like that. It's an older article. It's a it's a great, great article. So if you have a one-car garage or even a two-car garage, some of the stuff he says in it is is really, um, really smart in terms of space usage, and uh, and I want to set up my drum sander, so I got to figure out how I'm going to fit it in, but. Anyway, tradition. that's why I've been feeling feeling constricted. It was just I, I took these photos. I I posted them on Twitter over the weekend. And I I took photos of this finished wall, and the second I looked at that wall, I just felt like got a out of space.
0: Right, but you know, I mean, ultimately, I think we all run into that. I mean, I I run into that with um, you know, with with my two car.
1: Yeah, but, no, I absolutely. I mean, I because- I don't know anybody who says. Right. I have all the space in the world, and it's it's fine. Um, I think you know it's kind of like fish, where you grow into whatever the size of your tank is. Right. So you have a one car garage, you you fill it up, and you have, you feel small. You have a two car garage, you fill it up, you feel small. You have a three car garage, you fill it up, you feel small. It's um yeah, it's I just mean, the nature of what we do.
0: That's right. I was looking at my shop the other day, and I'm going, you know, it, I was like, I'm frustrated with my shop because I've got two garage doors that take up an entire wall, so I have three walls. Well. You know, the kids have bicycles and things like that. that We've got to put them somewhere. Come on. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I keep telling them. So I'm like, we've got to put this stuff somewhere. So I'm losing a fourth of another wall over here. And I'm like, I don't have all this wall space. And it's like, okay, I've got space in here. It's just arranging everything to where I'm using that space. Um,
1: As an outsider, I will say that. You've been in my shop, and yeah. I'm pretty sure when you were in my shop we could barely walk in the shop it was um, pretty sad it was it was in a, a mid project in a bit of a disaster and I think you were in my shop before the before the outside wall was done weren't you
0: you were you were putting up the insulation on the yeah okay on so the outside walls
1: that insulation was a very long process and when right. that when that insulation was going on, really all my tools were pushed against the right hand wall while I worked Th- on the left hand wall. that's right yep. And a project would come along. I'd pull my tools out, I'd do the project, I'd push them all back. So it was a bloody mess. Compared to then, it's this grand, large, luxurious, spacey thing. Yeah. Um, so it's come a long way, but God, it's still small.
0: <laughs> no, I, I get it. it it's, it's uh, you know, but ultimately, I think it, it comes back to, to, like we said, is, is just, you know, organization space, where to put things. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's challenges involved with a smaller shop, but, you know, at the same time, I've, I've said this a thousand times on here and, and I've, I've met people out that, that, that occasionally will listen to this podcast and they, they laugh at this statement. But when I talk about, you know, like my dad's shop where it's, you know, 50 by a hundred and, and mm-hmm. complain about his shop, but you know, it, it really is there, there's, there's a happy medium in a shop. You know, it's, you know, a huge, huge, huge giant shop is not the best thing in the world to have. Um, you know, it's it's really a decent sized shop that you can organize and and put things to where you, the workflow goes along easily, to where that you can yeah. move from one yeah, tool to the next, and and have things to where you're not walking halfway across the shop to get to something. You know, you've got something that's that's comfortable for you to work in, and and a lot of that depends on on the type of work that you do. Uh, it depends on the type of tools and stuff that you use, um, and just your your output and, and and how that works. And most of the people that listen to this, and and that's included, are are hobby woodworkers. So you know we're not looking for some big giant production. We're you know we're looking to um, you know to kind of meet our own needs and and maximize the time that we've got in our shops.
1: Right, and we're looking to meet our own needs in the space we have. I don't think any of us or right. most of us are not building purpose-made buildings That's just out of the shop. Right, um, But it's funny because I don't know what the dimensions are um, in terms of cars. It's four cars wide and two cars deep, so I guess you could call it an eight-car garage. But my dad's place upstate that he built uh-huh. – um, it's a it's a barn that he built and yes. the second the second floor is the living space and the living space is roughly half the square footage of the first floor which is the shop um so you can see where his priorities are in building his retirement house <laughs> and he was up there he went up there Thanksgiving night. We all had Thanksgiving at my uncle's house. And right after dinner, he drove upstate and he didn't come home till yesterday afternoon. So he he, he took an even longer weekend and spent the weekend up in his shop. And he hasn't been up there in a long time. And he was setting a lot of stuff up and his cabinets, shop cabinets around his miter saw that he finally finished that he built. He started years ago and doing a lot of shops setup. up. And it was funny because he called me last night when he when he finally got home and we had like an hour long discussion over the phone about different shop setup, and he wants to come over over the weekend to look at my shop and see the way I've set things up. I mean, there's no no comparison in the size right. and right. just the the physical volume of equipment we have. But um, he's finding, you know, just workflow and usage and having things where you can reach them. It doesn't matter how big your shop is; you need to pay attention to those things. Um,
0: Well, and and the smaller the shop, the more you're going to pay attention to those things. Well,
1: exactly, because that's what he found was he's in this big space and he's got stuff all over the place and he's looking to figure out how to set it up into feasible workstations. And I don't for the life of me, I don't understand why. I mean, he's he does a lot of work with sheet goods. He has a big old jet cabinet saw, this monster saw. He's got fifty-two inch Biesmeyer fence with a full extension wing filled in, this big outfeed table. It's, it's a monster table saw. And originally he had it squeezed all the way to the left of the shop. And I didn't understand why. And we had this long conversation when I was up there a couple years ago it was about, why don't you put this in the middle of the damn shop? I mean you're you're putting eight four foot by eight foot sheets over this almost every time you use it. Put it in the middle. Let it let it be the anchor of the shop. And he finally moved it into the middle. And I think that's kind of opened up the shop a bit. But he's trying to figure out how to put things so that it makes sense in terms of workflow. Because for the longest time, it was just kind of a catch-all garage space for the whole property. And now he's finally pushing other things out. And he's, I think he's building his third barn on the property because he can't stop building barns. Um, but what that's meant is that now the wood shop only holds woodworking tools and not other right. stuff. So he's finally setting it up as a shop. And, and you're right. No matter what the size is, if it's too big, it's too small, or somewhere in the middle, um, it's about workflow and about making sure that things are set up logically and efficiently. Right. Yep. Um, so that is what's up in my shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what's up in Tom's shop, because um, though ah, he's not with us.
0: Tommy uh, boy. Tommy yeah, from our, what I
1: understand, got his boy. new table saw is on its way. Yeah. And, um, Tom just picked up a new uh, new Laguna Fusion table saw, and I'm very eager to to hear what he has to say about it because I don't know this for a fact. I should have probably looked it up. But what I under from what I understand, looking at it, the Laguna looks to me like a hybrid saw, and I don't I don't know whether it's a hybrid saw or a true cabinet saw, but hmm. the uh, uh, the body looks. The body has has sheet metal, clearly, and it's not cast iron. But I guess most, most cabinet saws are not cast iron. So I, I'm intrigued by this saw, I guess is is what I have to say. I don't I don't know enough about it, but it it looks like a well made saw. Much of the Laguna stuff is very well made, so I'm I'm very interested to see what he thinks about the saw once he gets it set up.
0: Yeah, I'm i I'm curious because um in talking to Tom a while back, he was mentioned that he was going to get a hybrid, so Okay. Uh, I really haven't looked that particular saw up. I was actually trying to see if I could pull something up on it real quick, but um, um, I I do know that he was he he said he was going to get a hybrid. So whether that one itself is a hybrid or not, um, I don't know. You know, it's um, you know, I I've, I've saw saw the saw. Haven't used one myself, but um, you know, I've have, used, have
1: you actually put your hands on it? I no, I've I never even say, touched
0: I, I haven't. I've I've used you know the Laguna bandsaws, um, okay. several times, but I've, I've never used their, um, their table saws. So uh, what do you
1: think of the bandsaws?
0: Um, I liked the bandsaw. I, I used, um, I've got, uh, a buddy of mine's got, got one of the bandsaws. Um, and then I've used them at Woodcraft a couple of times and I don't know, a couple other places. Um, I, I, I like them honestly. I mean, good. You because know, there's
1: it, one sitting in my office right now. I, I, I hope I've never actually used one. Yeah. Um, I bought it sight unseen, uh, but I'm, I'm optimistic about
0: it. No, I mean, from, from functional and just using it, you know, smooth cutting saw, um, you know, the, the, the adjustments were easy in it. Um, I, you know, I was, I was as a matter of fact, when, when I was really debating whether I was going to, to get another bandsaw um, Laguna was, was really the, the kind of choice that, that I'd kind of narrowed down to. So um
1: I ended up going with a bigger Laguna saw because I got got one of their demo models on a Black Friday deal. But that being said, Uh I think the the 1412, their small one, Uh based on the reviews I've read, and Raleigh Johnson wrote a raving review of it, and he knows his tools. And I actually talked to him about the saw when I saw him at the woodworking shows last year the the 1412 seems like an unbelievable value in terms of what you get for that that relatively small saw i mean it's a it's still a 14 inch saw it's got 12 inch resaw capacity it's got a i think a horse and three quarter because it's only 110 um but for what it is and what you pay for it it's just over a thousand dollars that that seems to be a really good saw the 1412 Yeah. yeah um but anyway so we hope uh hope by the next time we record tom has his saw and can tell us about how well it works but
0: yeah, I'm anxious, to, uh, anxious to hear. To. But unfortunately, Tom is the birthday boy today, so we would all sing happy birthday to Tom. But okay, I tell you what, everyone go and sing happy birthday to Tom right now. Okay, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right. Um, so that's enough shop talk. Um, I want to talk about uh, blog posts that piqued our interest over this time. Um, coming up this Friday, the 6th of December at 8 p.m. Eastern is I don't know what number it is. I don't want to call it the third or fourth or fifth annual, but it's the 2014 Wood Whisperer Holiday Bash. And uh, for many years running, um, Mark has had a holiday giveaway bash. Uh, where he's had, I think it's been open to everyone, not just guild members.
0: No, it's. Um, I was going to say, in the past, I know it's been open to everyone. So.
1: Yeah. Okay. So it's just it's a live broadcast, and he has lots of lots of giveaways, and there's just lots of chat, and it's it's a really really nice conversation. Um, I know if I, if I'm not mistaken, a year or two ago, Mr. Adkins, you you won some sandpaper from. I,
0: him. I did. As a matter of fact, I'm still using some of that sandpaper. So uh, yeah, it, it's a it, it's a very it's a very cool little deal um you know most little deals like that that's some kind of little live i I'm, i shy away but um i've actually mark does a fantastic job with that so um they the, i highly recommend it
1: what brand of soap of what of uh of Dang, sandpaper was
0: it i knew you were going to ask me that and yeah. i cannot remember to save my okay. life
1: well I, anyway i i've i think i've tuned into two over the years um being the live broadcast i know he's giving away like classes at um at the chidwick school and and all all sorts of stuff and it's it's a really nice conversation because it's a live thing so uh tune in and this year he's merging it with his wood whisperer live meetings i think it's something i think they've only done like three or four of them so far but Mm -hmm. he and nicole are working on these once a month live meetings to just the general public besides the guild um so the December Wood Whisperer Live meeting is going to be melded with the Holiday Giveaway Bash, and they're calling it the Wood Whisperer Holiday Bash. And again, that's going to be on Friday, the 6th of December at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we'll have links to the show notes, but if you just go to thewoodwhisperer.com, I'm sure there'll be links to it, and uh, you can join in. And it's it's a good way to spend an hour, hour and a half. It doesn't go that long, and it's uh, it's not a bad way to spend a Friday night.
0: So make sure that you bring some eggnog and... I don't know, wear like a Rudolph sweater or something.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually, yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, Saturday night, the kids are going to the grandfather's house and my wife and I are going out with our friends for what is apparently going to be a bad Christmas sweater night on the town.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, uh, I, I, I saw some... Uh, we're trying to go for the R rating here. I saw some holiday sweaters the other day, and <laughs> and it's like the humping reindeer or something like that. You know, it's not completely <laughs> obvious. But, you know, when but you look I, at it, for a I few think it was on of...
1: Facebook. My wife showed me this picture of it was uh, it was a snowman and a Santa figure, and the way they were set next to each other, <laughs> it didn't leave a lot of the imagination. It was uh, it was really really
0: inappropriate. <laughs> I'm like I've but got see, to get one of these yeah, sweaters just to wear it to a thing, just to see if anybody notices. It. I was
1: really <laughs> debating whether I should buy a bad sweater just to go out Saturday night, and I finally decided no, that was that. That would be a waste of money. But it it is it's really tempting. I can appreciate why. And I'm all for a tacky sweater, but if you only wear it one season of the year at a couple of events, it's probably not worth it. But if I could find like a tacky sweater that went all year, um, I have to believe that Tom's mom all, also listens to Wait Wait Don't Tell Me and. Um, because she's the only listener we have. Any right. Anyone who's listened to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me has probably heard the classic episode where Mo Rocca insulted knitters. Uh, And talked about how homemade sweaters were really itchy And then in a subsequent episode They made him a sweater and brought the sweater in And he complimented on how wonderful and soft the sweater is And let me be the first to say that Homemade sweaters are incredibly soft And I'm not looking to insult or mean to insult Any knitter, I love knitters
0: Are you trying Um, to get your hands on some some Homemade sweaters now?
1: Yeah, what I'm really trying to say here is If anyone wants to make me a really tacky Christmas sweater (laughs) I will gladly wear it I don't want to say 12 months of the year but I will not limit it to just the Christmas we, season we Anytime it, it is one, cold I will wear the tacky <laughs> Christmas sweater
0: I uh, my 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 in-laws bought me um, I don't know a couple of years ago a sweater with snowflakes on it and and my wife's like you have to wear that sweater and I'm like really do you see me wearing <laughs> snowflakes <laughs> so so I have I have wore this sweater one time every year. To a holiday party with them, and and I refuse to wear it any other time. So, uh, so I, I will wear, wear my, my sweaters. tacky my sweaters me, occasionally. I
1: don't wear, so I understand. But anyway, we digress. See, uh, I was going to say we digress. Here, we, somehow we're talking about sweaters,
0: and I'm supposed to be the one that keeps us in line. What happened here?
1: <laughs> yeah, good job, Chris.
0: Man, well done. <laughs> All right, so as we move past that, uh, we are going to hear just um, a word real quick from the sponsor, and then um, going to move yeah, tr- on from that.
1: Trust us, the, the word from Gorilla Glue is a lot more relevant to your woodworking than a sweater is. Uh, this is actually informative stuff, and the glue works wonderfully.
0: Ah, here we go. This podcast is sponsored by the Gorilla Glue Company, with a full line of tough adhesives, tapes, and more. Gorilla can help you fix, build, or repair just about anything. Visit gorillatuff. dot com to learn more. Gorilla for the toughest jobs on planet Earth. All right, see how nice that was. And
1: <laughs> it was on topic, which
0: is amazing, especially <laughs> on this show. I mean, we're
1: never on topic, but never. this is. We're we're impressively off the rails. I may have mm. to ask Tom to listen to this to, to reprimand us.
0: You know what? I'm going to have to start missing some episodes just so that I've got <laughs> the uh, some episodes I can actually listen to of, of us. Uh, of course, there's so many others out there I listen to, but uh, I, I never listen to It's us.
1: worth listening to, to the episodes. The problem is I know how the conversations go, so I never feel like they're bad conversations. But <laughs> I actually do listen to every one and, and, and try to— think about it and make improvements Clearly, that's not <laughs> working but I, i'm
0: trying right
1: <laughs> but anyway now that we're through all that um let's talk about what's going on with the mwa because this yes. is really the uh, the this exciting thing we've got going on is yeah we have adopted the last minute elf which was tom's baby last year and now yep. we're uh, now we're all running with it yeah um so chris why don't you tell everybody about the last minute elf
0: yeah, so um, we're we're really excited to be doing the the last minute Alpha this year. Um, you know, make sure that you you mark this on your calendar. Um, it's going to be from the week of December the seventh through the thirteenth. Um, but what I want to say with that is. Yes, that is technically the week that we're actually going to be running this this deal and and really promoting and having everybody do posts and things like that. But that being said, you know, look, start sending us your stuff now. You know, it's 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 December now, so um, what what we're going to do is we want to start seeing some some projects coming in. Let's uh, and,
1: and I think it's important to say too that not only can you send them in now before December seventh, but the contest and the whole the whole um, whole last minute elf. Doesn't end on the thirteenth. Correct. Um, the seventh the to the thirteenth is when we're going to work to publicize most of it. And, and right. if you have a blog post, if you if you want to write something about making a Christmas present or right. a holiday present or a Hanukkah present or whatever kind of present you want, um, or just a quick method of finishing or the way to build something in a night, anything about building something efficiently or a gift, um, if you want to publish it, absolutely do it the seventh to the thirteenth, and we'll yes. help promote it and, and share yes. it around. But that being said. Um, What we're doing this year with it is we're asking for submissions about what people make as their holiday gifts, and um, we're asking people to submit them. And you can email what you make to Iggy, I-G-G-Y, at tomsworkbench.com. That's his Shop Monkey's email address, and Iggy's going to be the one managing the contest. Um, And you're going to have up until December 28th, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, December 28th. right? To yep. submit entries because while we're talking about it, the seventh and thirteenth, our thought was this is the last minute elf. We want to publicize it before we're actually at the holidays. But the fact of the matter is, I for one, and probably most of us, are going to be building right last up until the man. deadline of the holidays. Yep. So don't feel like you have to get it done by the thirteenth to send something in. You finish it up on the twenty sixth. We're not going to tell anybody. You email, email it to us by the twenty eighth. <laughs> as far as we're concerned, you finished it by the holidays. <laughs> True. Um, so um so that's that's the way the work the week works is before the holidays we're going to try to publicize it give people ideas give people you know methods and whatever they can we can do to help them work on this but it's not as though you need to have a project finished by the 13th in order to submit it right um but i just kind of hijacked what the event is about you want to tell them the way we're gonna what we're doing with this event chris in terms of well, different categories and yeah and yeah
0: just and and, and i do want to say that you know please you know we we're we're really excited about this i mean this is you know last last year with with tom doing it uh with tom workbench you know it was a huge success and uh, and we're really excited about you know what we're going to be able to do with it with mwa and uh we we want to start seeing your stuff coming in so you know it's 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 started so if you've got stuff now please start sending it in. And uh, basically what we're going to do is we're going to break it down into some different categories. And at the end of the whole thing, uh, Gorilla Glue, um, you know, as, as we've said before, Gorilla Glue has, has been uh, a sponsor that we've, we've picked up on here and we're really excited about. And they, uh, they're all aboard with this, this last-minute elf project and um, pretty excited about joining up with us on it. And so we're going to have some different categories that you can jump in and and win some stuff so um so we're gonna you know break it down into best term project um you know the the greenest project using recycled materials yeah
1: that's not necessarily green wood you can kiln dry it if you want It's, it's recycled materials. that's right
0: recycled materials so um you know and that could be a lot of different things i mean it could be you know something using pallets it could be something using just just recycled materials that you you find around so um so and that's i I'm cool going to
1: suggest people think of mixed media. I mean, we're yes. we're about woodworking. I don't want to say go entirely non wood, yep. but you want to incorporate some metal or tile or um, you know, whatever you want. Absolutely, it doesn't need to be a purely wood project. And God forbid you can even use <laughs> metal fasteners. I'd be okay with that. I don't know about Tom, but I'm going to be okay with metal fasteners.
0: Sure, let's do it. Um, So, another category is going to be best project that will fit inside a large uh, UPS um, Mm -hmm. fixed rate package, which is 12 by 12 by 5.5 inches. Mm -hmm. Um, Another category is going to be uh, best gift for a child. Uh, Another category is best gift for an adult. And then the coolest tip um, of a holiday um, project on time. So, yeah, So
1: that's going to be like a, an efficient way to build something or a way to right. build something under a deadline or quickly.
0: So basically, you know, what, what we're trying to do here is, 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 is break this down into some categories that, that kind of fits into the, the concept of the last minute elf. You know, you, you know, how do you, you know, how do you build something that you can ship out to family members? You know, how do you build something that's, you know, efficient on your time and things. So, um, you know, we want people to be creative and come up with some different ways. And, and the fact is, is don't worry about what the categories are. What we want to see is we want to see people jump in there and start building some things and, and coming up with some project ideas that, that they can, they can build. You know, I've got, uh, we're going to, we're going to do a, a whole big, uh, the next podcast that we record, we're actually going to do a, a big you know episode on just just all of this and last minute elf, so we really want to see some ideas coming in here in the next two mm-hmm. weeks um because we're going to record a whole episode on this last minute elf and, and start talking about it so um, yeah,
1: so again, if you have if you have a project that's actually done, you're welcome to send it We you just have ideas on. or you have a post related to this you want to share, please send it to iggy mm-hmm. i g g y at tomsworkbench dot com and what I failed to mention before is please make sure the subject line reads last minute elf entry. Right. Um, so
0: all right. So we'll, that, that actually brings up one other thing that I would like to to bring up with the uh, it it's kinda in conjunction with that, but it's also got to do with just the Modern Money Workers Association podcast. Um, you know, as as most of you the, you listeners, uh Tom's mom who's been listening the whole time. Thank um, you, Mrs. Daveito. Thank you. We appreciate your only support um you know we're we 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 do try to make improvements in the podcast you know when we 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 kind of joke about it but it's really not a joke when we started this podcast it was we there was no intention of recording a podcast it was just a couple of us guys recording uh, a review and and we kind of got started with it but you know over time we we have tried to add things in and so we're pretty excited right you know one of the things that i like um and and all of us like is is interaction from from our listeners um so what what we have um recently done is i've i've set up a google voice um account and that we can actually take we can take voicemails from our listeners with questions and and comments and and things that we can play on air so um so, I would love to encourage for you guys to to be able to reach out and and call us up and and give us your your comments and and let us know what your your thoughts are so and
1: uh Chris, how would they do that
0: and so, to do that um the telephone number that you can call and leave us a voicemail is eight two eight four eight four one eight seven four so you can call and you can leave a voicemail you can leave. A question. You can leave a comment. You can tell us how much you don't like us. Whatever you'd like, and you know what, we'll play it on air, and we'll we'll uh, so everybody can listen to it, and we'll do our best to uh, answer whatever you got. So, with this whole last minute elf coming up, you know what? This is a great opportunity to uh, to reach out and, and give us some of your ideas.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, if you have any questions about it or suggestions about it, or if you don't have your own blog um and you just have something you want us to, to mention and share with the community about it, um, please let us know. That's eight two eight four eight four eighteen seventy four. It'll be in the show notes. And uh even if it doesn't relate to the last minute elf you just want to talk about how you want to wish Tom a happy birthday or you're glad he's not here or you miss him or you wish we would all shut up, <laughs> no matter what you have to say, give us a call. We'll listen.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. And and that's and that's and it just kind of comes into our whole thing with the community and uh we do want community involvement, so we would, uh, we would, we would love to hear from you. So please, uh, please uh, jump in.
1: All right, and with that, uh, unless there's something I'm missing, I think it's about time to wrap this thing up.
0: Yeah, somehow we have uh, managed with just the two of us to ramble <laughs> on for uh, for an hour
1: yeah we hope we hope you guys don't mind but what we actually did was the conversation that chris and i usually have after the show about what's going on we just kind of made it the show this week so hopefully that was uh, somewhat enjoyable that's right if it's not give us a call we'll do it again <laughs> just let us know perfect right, so if you're missing us already you can subscribe to the show on itunes Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Once you're subscribed, you'll be sure to never miss an exciting episode. While you're on iTunes, please leave us a good review because a high ranking for us helps others find us more easily. If you want to find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, be sure to visit ModernWoodworkersAssociation.com. Follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national. Like the MWA on Facebook or circle Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. While you're there... Join the MWA Google Plus community for project sharing, discussion, and loads of woodworking banter. The banter is off the rails.
0: <laughs> That's right. And so, again, I am Chris Adkins at HighRockWoodworking.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ww.
1: Uh, our resident shop monkey is not here tonight, but that would be Mr. Tom Iavino. It is his birthday. Tom is officially an older man tonight. Um, to, he is found at tomsworkbench.com and at tomsworkbench on Twitter. It's worth following him. He, he shouts a lot. And I can be found at penultimatewoodshop.com, shouting in my own Long Island way. And I'm on the Twitters at Diami Plotke. That's at D-Y-A-M-I-P-L-O-T-K-E. For those of you who don't know how to spell Diami Plotke. We wish you a good night and a happy sawdust